Hi there, Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of PharmaQuipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of PharmaQuipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, Associate Editor Sarah Hill sat down with Jeff Bloom, second generation owner of Lake County International. Jeff's father, Frank Bloom, got started in the farm equipment business working with Vern Sparks at the International Harvester Company store in here in South Dakota. In 1962, Frank and Vern decided to go into business together for themselves and bought Lake County International after his father passed away. Jeff was thrown into a leadership role at the age of 28 in the middle of the 1980s farm crisis. Today, the third generation is involved in the dealership. Before we head over to Sarah's conversation with Jeff, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Jeff Bloom sharing some background on how his father and Vern Sparks first got the business going. This is the Our Dealer Story of Lake County International. Jeff, for joining us this morning on our Dealer Story podcast for Farm Equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and Lake County International. I've grown up in Madison, South Dakota, been here my whole life. We moved, I was born in Deadwood, South Dakota, and uh, my dad moved out there to be a work in the gold mine for a little while and they spent three years out there where I was was born and then uh, they moved back to Huron. He met his partner, who was Vern Sparts. Uh, he actually worked for him in the International Harvester-owned, company-owned dealership that was there. And then those two formed a partnership and moved to Madison and, and bought the, the Lake County International uh, from, uh, from uh, the Applewicks. And uh, we were across the road on the north side of the road here west of Madison started that in 1962. So uh, yeah, I've been here since I was a kindergartner, been here my whole life. Very cool. So talk us through the history of the dealership. Since 1962, what are some of the highlights that have happened in the, the history of Lake County? Right. Yeah. So uh, dad and Vern Sparts, uh, my dad, Frank Bloom, uh, came to, to Madison in 1962. Um, as I said, that we were on the north side of the road, but and and uh, and I'm sure it was an older uh, 58 years ago, but uh, it was a brick building. You know, the the equipment wasn't nearly as big, so uh, you could. I can remember as a little kid uh, walking around there, and there were all sorts of 560s and 806s, and those H Farmalls. We used to work on all those. It was it was full of smaller equipment, but uh, those two were partners. I remember Dad talking about the fact that when they started this business, they each threw in ten thousand dollars. Wow! And can you imagine? I mean, we we sell lawnmowers for ten thousand dollars nowadays, you know, <laughs> and uh, and so I imagine they were pretty pretty careful, pretty pretty frugal, and uh, to get started. But they started in a good time. In you know, in the in the early sixties. Things were moving along, and International Harvester was a vibrant uh, uh, company that uh, it was innovative and in uh, and a, and a big company, and and probably every bit as much a, a leader in the farm equipment industry as as its competition. You know, so so they were very happy about partnering with the International Harvester. You know, uh, through the first. 10, 15 years, you know, gee, I can remember going out to the dealership with my dad and, uh, and just being a part of, part of the business, you know, uh, when we were eight years old, we built go-karts. I, I know we were, we were definitely a liability <laughs> to the dealership until we were probably 12 years old because uh, I think we, we were bothering the service technicians and, uh, and, uh, and grabbing bolts and, uh, and piecing together uh, go-karts and it, it, we were, it was fun. 
but uh, yeah, we had uh, we had a good. Uh, I have lots of fond memories putting together Cub Cadet lawnmowers wow. uh, when we were little. Those the first Cub Cadets. Uh, were, Cub Cadet actually was part of International Harvester in the start sure. in 1962 as well. So we seen some of the very first Cub Cadet lawnmowers, and I can remember putting them together as a you know ten year old. Just fond memories of my father. And uh, and being a part of that and, and watching him work, it was just, yeah, just great memories. So let's talk about next phase of your being involved in the dealership. So um, where did you get your education and then how did you uh, come into working at the dealership as an adult? Well, and again, growing up in the dealership, you know, uh, working part-time um, after school uh, throughout my career in high school. I played high school golf and, and, and basketball, but I was, uh, I'm 6'4 now, but I was 5'7 when I graduated high school. Oh, wow. My growth spurt came after, so uh, I, uh, I, I always worked at the dealership. I, I did uh, go to D Dakota State University here in Madison for a few years, and went, but got to the point where I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I worked while I was going to college, but sure. so my heart was always in the implement business. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't finish college, but got my education in the school of heart and hard knocks, so to speak, you know, but worked my way up through the dealership. You know, uh, I can remember setting up equipment with uh, um, versatile wind rowers, you know, the field cultivators used to come in on the rail. We would have to go down to the rail yard here in Madison or in the rail yard over in Flandreau, unload it, put it together so that it was mobile and then bring it here to Madison or, or, or bring it out to the dealership. The equipment that we had to unload that wasn't near as good either, you know, and uh, it was it was a challenge. But I mad I, kind of full time. I started in 1978, you know, working and I worked in the parts department and probably worked solidly in the parts department for six, seven years. And um, for for Dad and his partner uh, Vern Sparts, and uh, yeah, we just kind of grew up uh, as part of the business. He used to drive truck uh, when we would set up the equipment. I would drive truck when I was seventeen, eighteen years old, and uh, you know, some hauling some of that stuff was that was just huge. And again, we just didn't have the equipment to haul the trucks. We would put a 1066 tractor on the back of a single axle straight truck and, wow. and wonder whether we should have been, but uh, you know, it was what we had, Yeah. you know? So uh, you learn to be careful and, uh, and uh, it was interesting, but I've done everything in the dealership in growing up. And, and I think that was, it's been important because it's given me in all aspects a uh, look at the business. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about safety when you put somebody on the truck. Mm -hmm. When we're unloading equipment, we're thinking about safety and, sure. and making sure that the people that are doing that are safe. And um, I think uh, it, it gives you an appreciation for working in the parts department and being on the front line and having a customer with a with an objection give you a particular heck and uh, and knowing what it feels and knowing how important it is to uh, follow through on promises and not sure. over promise but over deliver. You know, right. yeah. So you, that kind of leads me to my next question. What would you say are some of those early lessons? that you learned um, as you were working your way up through the dealership. Yeah, that was one, you know, and probably now that I'm in my um, gray years, you know, I, I think being a better listener, you know, uh, 
uh, when you're young and you, you, you think you, you know way more than you, you do, I, you know, I, I think it's important that you're a, you're a good listener and, 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 and listen to really what the customer is telling you um, that he wants. You know, sometimes you have that preconceived notion in your head of what he wants or needs, mm -hmm. but it isn't at all what he wants. And I think, sure. you know, probably one of the biggest things is being a, a really good listener, you know. Um, and again, uh, following through on promises, you know, I think when we know that they would like to get that piece of equipment going, uh, we tend to say, oh, I'm, I'm sure that part will be here tomorrow with with no <laughs> with no real chance of it being here but yeah. you know to to put them off uh you know it's sometimes you you know you have that thought that maybe that's what you should tell them when you know it, it isn't it isn't what you should tell them but sure having missed out on part of my college years you know i'd there's part of the economics part of growing up and in the education that it would have been maybe fun to learn a little bit more about. But I think as, as you get a little bit older, you find out that this is more, this business is more about uh, relationships as are most businesses. Yeah. You know, being, being honest and fair and uh, just um, being, uh, being there for your customer when you know this is such a uh, an essential business at, at essential times of the year, mm -hmm. as we're learning in uh, in the COVID area, you know, uh, time that uh, we we stayed open through uh, through the COVID through spring, right. and um, and and it's critical that we're here, you know, twenty four seven and uh, yeah. and and just being there for your customer is another thing that I think a person learns uh, throughout those years. We have uh, always had a after hours service, you sure. know, and in the days when I was growing up in the parts department, back when we didn't have computers and, you know, we kept track of parts uh, on cards and um, it was still all about the customer service. We still had to be there after hours for the yeah. customers and, um, and, and, it's, and it's about relationships. and. You know, I'll still have customers come to me 40 years later, say, you know, I, I come to your dealership because remember that time when you helped me out in the middle of the night when we were going in corn and, wow. and you brought me apart? Uh, uh, that happens, you know, all the time. Wow. You know. That's a pretty solid testimony of, of what customer service is and how building those relationships can really impact your business decades later. Exactly. Yeah, it is. So what was it like moving from the front lines into a leadership role here at the dealership? I was kind of thrust into the leadership role. Um, my dad bought uh, Vern Sparks was was considering retiring, mm -hmm. and in 19, you know, he had a heart attack in the early 80s, and in 1984, my dad uh, purchased the shares of stock of of the Spartzes. And in May of 1985, my dad got cancer and he died in uh, January of 86. So, uh, yeah, we were kind of, I was 28 and kind of thrust wow. into the leadership role, you know. Wow. But thank, thankfully, we had great people here. Uh, Jim Thompson was a salesman and Gary Johnson was our business manager. And we, they, they were lifesavers for me because they helped me uh, through, uh, you know, carry us through those early years. And then a person was kind of uh, baptized by fire, you know, sure. and, and, and I learned uh, an awful lot in four or five years. Mm -hmm. I look back and the, it's fun to look back and some of the financial records and in and, and the early 80s were awful, awful right. times, you know, high interest rates, poor. Your customers probably oh, yeah, using we're, their farms. Yeah, exactly. It was, it were, they were really tough times. And I look back, you know, and, you know, for a whole year, we'd make 300 bucks. And the next wow. year we lose money, you know, and I'm sure 
uh, a banker wasn't looking at Lake County International uh, in very favorable ways with 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 not uh, a strong leadership background. I mean, they 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 could look and see who was behind, but but uh, who was was helping out. But it was it was us who had the bank account, and I'm sure we weren't very strong uh, strong opportunities, but it worked its way through. You know, I, it, it just, uh, you, we worked hard and, uh, and, and slowly, you know, gained the trust of our customers and, um, and uh, with the help of really, like I said, really great employees, we, we made it. Tom Brace was, was our service manager for 35 years. And he worked here at the dealership for just short of 50 years. Yeah. And uh, he started when he was 18, 19 years old, and uh, and he was he was a great asset uh, in getting us through those tough times. But you know, uh, it was it was a real challenge those first first few years, but uh, it was it was good. So now that you're kind of on the other side mm -hmm. of that journey, yeah, what? In looking back, what would you say besides making it through those difficult first few years? What are some other challenges that the dealership has overcome, and and you yourself as a leader have gone through? Yeah, you know, probably adapting to changing times have always been always been challenging. Adapting to the new equipment, we we uh, we were always we always kind of felt like we specialized in harvesting equipment we sold okay. a lot of combines early in the in our in our dealership's career and uh the harvesting equipment has really evolved but keeping uh really uh, trained individuals you know and i and i don't think there's any doubt that uh that keeping qualified trained, competent, caring individuals in the dealership has been our key. You know, looking back, it's been key people like Ken Failer as the service manager and Tom Brace and, and, and good salespeople uh, have, uh, have really helped. Having my brother in the business as well, has really helped. In 1993, he played football at SDSU and, okay. and was an All-American there. He would got his wow. teaching degree. I know I'm kind of rambling, but uh, no, he had no, gotten his teaching that. degree and he came and he worked in the dealership growing up when he could, but he was always in sports because he was a big guy growing up. And uh, he came back in 1993 and said, do you mind if I just work until I get a teaching job? And I said, no, absolutely. You know, you're more than welcome. It's you know, family business, right. you know, and he never left. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and I'm so thankful because it is, it is great to have uh, somebody that cares about the business as much as you do mm -hmm. by your side the whole time, you know. So now with Tom's education background, has that been an asset as well in helping train and on board new employees? Oh, absolutely. I probably do most of the, the hiring, but um, oh yeah, having his calm demeanor and, um, and uh, working with, uh, with new employees, absolutely. Getting them on board is the, the way we do uh, business here at Lake County International and the culture of, of caring, and, caring and customer service. Mm -hmm. is is absolutely very important and yeah and he's been a great asset in that regard how did the two of you kind of balance those priorities of who managed what in the day-to-day -day of the business yeah i i kind of take care of the, the the parts in the service part of the business although he oversees the service writing part of it so we we, we have kind of our unwritten parts that we that we take care of i kind of act as the sales manager and i value equipment and uh and and, and work through our selling deals we both sell 
and we both always have sold, and and we have two other salespeople. Um, but uh, you know, they sell maybe further out, and we sell still to to our to our the customers that we've had relationships with our whole lives. We sure. we we keep those relationships alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to answer your question in regard to how do we split up. It's probably, uh, we probably both take care of a, some of the same details. Uh, it allows us to be, to be gone periodically. But um, I, I think that if I'm gone for 10 days, um, Tom can run things as well as I do and, and vice versa. And, um, but I think uh, we've got strong managers um, in the service department and the parts department mm-hmm. uh, and, and a very strong financial business manager who uh, looks over the, the, the counting and our, and our cash positions. And, uh, and, and I think that's huge. And, and it, so, you know, both of us could be gone for a, for a, a long while and, and the, the store would run very well. I'm sure as in your role, that's probably a big comfort to you that knowing mm-hmm. you can Yep. Count on your people to yeah, absolutely, and I know that's probably not the way a lot of other dealerships are are run. But 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 a single store like ours, um, uh, we've been able to do it. You know because I think we've got uh, good people at the at the top, and I think and, and I think it helps, and and we have good people throughout. But I think that. Um, that, that, that caring culture is what carries us through. You know, we've enjoyed always a strong um, market share mm-hmm. and filling the country full of red equipment and having that uh, inventory of equipment out there that we can service and take care of and sell parts for and trade back in. You know, but that comes from, you know, 58 years in the business, you know, and in that that strong market share also, you know, uh, lends credence to our customers driving around and seeing that maybe they've made the right decisions in buying red equipment because their neighbors also own red equipment, you know, and and they we win by association a little bit. They. it's been gratifying since our since our award in 2013 for uh, for the year 2012. We've we always knew that we were, you know, in starting in. Oh gosh, we've always you know had a steady climb as far as uh, business. I mean, we look back over the years, and it was a slow, steady climb. But in 2005 through, oh gosh, through, through 2011, 12, you know, we were just knocking it out of the park. We were having double-digit growth and things were really going good. And, and that's why when we got to 2012 and I, and I asked Dale, my business manager, uh, I said, we should send in our, uh, our numbers for uh, 2012 because, yeah. I mean, it, it, we've just had phenomenal growth. And, and, and I just think that uh, for years, but particularly in 2012. And he says, yeah, we should, you know, and, and so we did. So it was so gratifying to hear the judges, uh, you know, of uh, the farm equipment uh, award, uh, dealership of the year award, you know, kind of gave a little bit of uh, gratification to, sure. to that. So that That's was fun. That you all had so much growth over that specific period of time yeah. with the, the Great Recession right in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, the rest of the world is sometimes going through bad times. Farmers, uh, you know, are so much tied to um, crop prices. And, and our crop prices weren't necessarily bad then, mm-hmm. you know. So 
we had, we've been really blessed in Lake County and the surrounding Southeast South Dakota. We sell into Minnesota a little bit and certainly, uh, you know, six, seven counties around this area. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say about 35 mile circle is our, you know, kind of our strong area. Sure. And then it gets a little bit less as we go far, further out. But we've been so blessed with great crops forever, you know. So when we didn't get a crop in last year, it was kind of tough on us, you know. Yeah. There were a lot of preventive plant acres and stuff like right. that. But, you know, so that helped for us selling lots of equipment when you've got great crops and mm -hmm. in, in the odd time when you get really good prices, mm -hmm. you know, we, we had farmers that were reinvesting and it was a, it was a fun time for a lot of people to get back into business from the, from 2005 to 2012 for, for young people to come back into the farming business. And you, we really saw uh, a lot of grandkids and kids of our existing farmers getting back into farming yeah. and it was exciting you know boy I was I was really feeling good about asking uh, my son and my nephew Tom's son to get back into the business into the farm equipment business because it was it was kind of exciting and now here we are uh, since 2013 14 in about year six of a little bit of a drought, yeah. you know, not drought, uh, uh, dry spell for the farm equipment business and farmers, you know. Mm -hmm. It's been kind of uh, a, a, a real dip ever since since we won that farm equipment award. Although I, I, I will have to say things have been you know, good in the farm equipment business. We still take care of our customers, we still, uh, do well in in the parts and service business, and and we've been able to still have very strong um, market share. Mm -hmm. Our market share this year with Case IH was almost half. Since in 1972, we added the Gale equipment uh, line of uh, light con contract construction equipment, mm -hmm. and. Um, and that has just grown and grown and grown, uh, almost you know double digits uh, wow. getting into. So yeah, it's it's diversified us just a little bit. We we sell a lot of uh, skid loaders, telehandlers, small wheel loaders. So um, you mentioned after that boom time of 05 to '12 you invited your son and your nephew to, to join the family business. Mm -hmm. Talk me through that process. What, what did that look like bringing the next generation in and um, what, is, what is the future for mm -hmm. Lake County International? Yeah, you know, I think very much like brother Tom and I, our kids grew up you know, working part time mm -hmm. after school on Saturdays, uh, that type of stuff. I mean, the tractor store, as we call it at home, was always part of our families. So that's where uh, they were. John, my son, went off to USD and got his degree uh, in in business. And, and, um, and Taylor, Tom's son, went off to SDSU and got his degree in, in ag production and precision farming uh, equipment. So his, his, his degree is just right down the line with the way, you know, we do business. And, and, and Johnny's business uh, degree uh, is, is as well. So having them come back and, and John is, is involved in the parts and the service department and, and Taylor in the, in the sales and precision farming part of the business. So they're separated. They have different roles. I think we're, we're setting them up for, um, for, for a few years down the road to take over the business. And Brother Tom is 10 years younger than I am. So uh, as I transition out and uh, and he takes over, I think uh, we'll we'll have a, a just a, a natural progression mm -hmm. for the boys to take over after Tom's ready to call it quits, whenever that might be. We'll get back to the Lake County International story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. 
To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Lake County International as Jeff offers his advice on running a successful business and how to select and train the right employees for the job. What would be your, your advice to other dealer owners and leaders about mm-hmm. running a business and keeping a business successful even through some of those up and down cycles of the ag industry? Right. Well, you certainly have to be able to um, watch your expenses. You know, through those through those down times, we've had to watch your inventories, keep your eyes uh, on the on the bigger picture from maybe the thirty thousand foot view. It was hard to it would it for anybody to be able to see when we had seven dollar corn and fifteen dollar beans. You know, we should have probably known it couldn't stay like that forever. I mean, I mm-hmm. think we all knew that it wasn't going to stay like that, but um, I don't think any of us saw maybe the the the, the abrupt downturn in the, in the economy, and mm-hmm. and maybe always looking out a year or two, making sure that in case things happen something like that happens you're you're ready for it you know so managing your inventory mm-hmm. not getting sloppy um and and things like that can happen when you're rolling and you're selling and things just like well i better order more combines i better order more tractors you know mm-hmm. things are really rolling you know you you really do have to manage your inventories and in in and new and used and i think we've after coming through six years of an of a downed economy, I think we are we are sharpened a, a little bit again, and uh, and 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 it's maybe been good for everybody because I think for certainly my my son and my nephew uh, to have them see that uh, mm-hmm. they they don't really know good times yet. Yeah, you know they've yeah. been involved uh, in the business while it was down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's good. But you know, as as far as uh, advice for other leaders, you know, take care of your customers. Make sure that you follow up on what you, you what you what you see. Put good people uh, in place. Make sure that those people understand what you expect of them, and uh, and then let them do what they do. Uh, everybody needs to understand that customer service is paramount from myself to uh, the person who vacuums and cleans the bathrooms. You mentioned bringing good people on board. Mm -hmm. Talk me through when you are doing hiring decisions, what are some of those key qualities and traits that you're looking for in a potential employee? Yeah. Someone who's someone who's confident, someone who um, has maybe been a, been around a little bit on the on the sales side. You know, we've just identified good people and, and put them in place. And in 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 a lot of those are family members. Um, you know, seeing seeing a particular quality in someone, and then and then make sure and taking them and to the area that you want them. You know, uh, a parts counter person, somebody that's personable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and identifying that person and saying, gee, this person would be great for this spot. Let's see if he wouldn't be interested in doing that. Hiring for the service department is, as everyone knows, whether you're in an auto dealership or a farm equipment dealership, it is it is a challenge. I mean, to to put good people in in place, you have to you have to pay them well, and you have to treat them well, and you have to uh, let them know what you expect. You know, training is is such a huge part of this, and uh, and I think that's. Um, but but traits that you look for in 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 people, I think, is just. 
You know, are they going to be there for you when they when you need them? And uh, and just people who will care, you know. So you mentioned training and how important that is. How do you keep up with training, particularly for those in the service department, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as things are changing and evolving <laughs> with the equipment? Yeah, we've always budgeted a certain amount of training for each employee for every year. And you know, based on their level of experience, um, you know, decided uh, that, that which which path they might. And I'm thinking mostly now of of the service department, but um, thinking about which discipline they may like to specialize in, whether it's tractors or combines, and then. If they're if they're fairly new, once they've shown their commitment to Lake County International, really ramp up training them, getting them on board as quickly as we can, trained up so that they have the knowledge to be able to work in the, in in the back or remotely, be, you know, in a pickup, mm -hmm. you know, going out into the field and uh, and yeah, we've we've we we basically set budgets for, for every employee, you know, and, and, and speaking of budgets, you know, getting back to where you were asking me what one of the important things, you know, advice for a new leader is setting budgets. Okay. You know, absolutely. You have to know where you think you're going to end up at the beginning of the year before COVID-19, you know, in, in every year, in November, December, we set expectations for the next year, mm -hmm. whether it's in uh, budgeting sales for for every department and uh, and where we hope to end up with for expenses. And then we monitor them throughout the year very closely. And, um, you know, fortunately, even through like this COVID year, we've been able to stay right on budget Great. even pre-COVID. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think knowing where you hope you're going to end at the beginning of the year is is very very important mm -hmm. you mentioned that precision ag is now part of the business which i'm sure it, it wasn't yeah when you right were getting right. started how have you gone about incorporating precision ag as a piece of your business and um what are some of those things that you focus on with precision you know, when, when Precision was first coming out, you, you look back and you look how simple it was and how, uh, the very first Precision Ag components were, were, were quite simple. Mm -hmm. And we're looking back, you know, um, but they were complicated at when we were looking forward. Right. You know, and, and, and those came mostly, we, got, we, we started with the service people, got them uh, started in that in, in down that line, you know. Uh, the, it was important for my service manager Tom Brace to know how uh, precision ag worked. So that's where we started with the training. For the most part, us salesmen were smart enough to be dangerous, you know, uh, <laughs> and knew it, but not to the technical side. And, and that's where the, the service people came on board. And, and, and slowly as uh, Precision Ag has evolved into um, data and uh, data management and, uh, and making sure that our customers understand what, this, what these precision components are capable of mm -hmm. and, and being able to uh, make it a complete picture I think it's had to come down the sales side. Our parts people have to understand uh, it a little, a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. have to understand. But we've always had uh, a strong precision farming uh, technician and a precision farming specialist. And you know, for our single store, you know, we have two precision specialists. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's good, and I think it's very important because mm -hmm. the, the the one precision specialist is transitioning into sales, okay. and and I mean that's going to serve him 
uh, very, very well because you have to know what you're doing yeah. in uh, on the precision side when selling these new tractors and combines and and every uh, sprayers, everything. Um, so, yeah, having a strong presence with precision farming has has always been important to to our store and. Um, and uh, and I think we're very, very capable uh, of being able to take care of all of the precision farming aspects of our business um, mm -hmm. from that data management to uh, to components to to repairing them in the field. Okay. So let's kind of think a little philosophically here for a minute. What do you see in the future? for the ag equipment business, you know, five years out, 10 years out, what, what are gonna be some of those trends that you see um, that might really be defining for the next decade of ag equipment? Um, in the ag equipment business. Um, Nothing like putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> it's okay, I just, you know, the ag equipment business has evolved like, you know, probably the construction business of 40 years ago with consolidation of ag equipment dealerships. And, it, you know, it's, it's probably only going to get more, uh, more consolidation without a doubt. Uh, will it be harder for a single store to, to keep Going probably just because the way that the the the, the manufacturers, uh, the companies that uh, serve us and supply us with stuff are, are are with equipment are taking us, so it will be harder for us to 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 stay in business the way we are today. You know. It's a little concerning for me, you know, uh, wanting my sons and uh, son and and nephew to to get into the business. It's it's very concerning to me to think about their ability to to stay in business in a single store. They may have to either get aggressive and and buy other dealerships, or look at selling and and maybe working for a a, a larger uh, uh, a larger group, but. You know that still is uh, is probably the biggest thing that concerns me looking forward. Um, but you know, looking forward for the ag equipment business, uh, farmers are only going to continue to get bigger. Need the equipment to be able to handle that, no matter what they decide. You know, we're also seeing farmers who specialize and diversify. Uh, you know, we've got a a group of our organic farmers in uh, that are customers of ours okay. that that still operate on a very uh, smaller level sure. but have contracts for their uh, for their produce uh, their mm -hmm. crops that that and they do very very well and uh, and they're able to operate on a smaller scale with smaller equipment mm -hmm. and and I and I would see that there may be more of that diversification you know uh, just getting bigger and farming the way we've continued to farm may not be the best answer corn and soybeans may not be you know just the only way we can do it we may uh, we've, we've got a farm customer who grows produce and and sells it on the on the street corners and in mm -hmm. the farmers markets and does very very well at that I mean that may be the future of where we end up. Um, but diversification as you're looking forward, we, we have a lot of, um, of uh, Hutterite colonies that we serve and those corporate farms, so to speak, they're families, they're, they're family farms, but they, they farm differently than, than maybe the, what people mo mo mostly look at as a family farm. Sure. But we have we serve a lot of of Hutterite colonies that that do very very well in our area, uh, you know. So looking, I mean, to answer your question, looking down the road ten years, you know, I can remember being told 
you know, 20 years ago that in 10 years, you know, you're going to be able to fit every farmer into the, into the, the, the stadium at uh, University of Michigan, you know, and I mean, yeah, I mean, our farmers are, are, are growing in size and, 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 and as farmers retire, they sell off their farms and farms just get bigger and they're absorbed by larger farmers. Mm -hmm. But that may not be, that trend might start to slow just a little bit. Uh, and I hope it does because uh, keeping things just a little bit local and being able to be more of a family-owned business and family-owned farms isn't, isn't all a bad thing. So from a, a dealer perspective, then how do you manage that when you're losing some of your customer base, when mm -hmm. some of those farmers retire and you have fewer farmers managing larger plots of land? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, probably by continuing to diversify a little bit ourselves. Uh, we sell more and more lawn and garden equipment. We sell more and more small tractors to hobby farmers slash sundowner type farmers, retirees, people who have retired to small acreages, people who work uh, for publishing companies that live on small acreages. You know, um, I it, it's we are selling a lot of uh, those small utility tractors that, to people that want it for moving snow and being able to take care of their little acreages, take care of their horses. Uh, so to, to continuing to diversify by selling uh, light construction equipment um, to contractors and um, home builders, you know, that type of stuff in our area. Uh, you know, I would say probably 20% in these downtimes, 20% of our business now is lawn and garden, light construction, and sure. those and those uh, hobby farmer uh, mm -hmm. type type people. So, yeah, continuing to diversify, just like we're asking maybe some of our farmers to diversify sure. into cattle, hogs. Uh, so then, from from the dealer perspective, uh, you mentioned that you have a lot of customers that have large farms, but then you do still have some of those smaller organic mm -hmm, farms. Mm -hmm. um, how do you balance the needs of customers when obviously a farmer with 10,000 acres, his needs are very different from an organic farmer who maybe only has 150 acres. Mm -hmm. How do you balance the different needs of those two different types of customers? Oh, I think, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's still just the equipment business. I mean, those there, you know, the organic farmer is going out and he's planting a crop at, 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 at that time of year. Um, the same time of year that maybe the, the big farmer is, they're just using different equipment. You know, that, that large farmer is using a quad track and a 60 foot field cultivator and, and the biggest combine we make. And uh, the, the organic farmer is using a 160 horsepower tractor with an eight row planter, you know, so um, they're still planters, they're still tractors, they're still field cultivators, it's just equipment. And I think being able to keep our people trained and, and, and that also is, is, is a good thing for our service department because we're servicing from the largest to the smallest. You know, it gives us again, a little bit of that diversification that we're not always counting on working on great big combines and great big tractors, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and allowing us to trade in uh, used equipment that will serve all of those people mm -hmm. is, is a plus too, so that you're not just trading in used quad tracks and used huge uh, uh, combines and in 24 row planters you're also trading in 125 horsepower tractors and uh, and eight row planters and and smaller combines yeah you mentioned earlier that you were seeing more young people getting into farming and, and taking over as the next generation what differences do you see in those younger farmers and how they operate their business compared to 
the older generation and, and how they ran their farming businesses. Mm -hmm. Their ability to use uh, um, the internet and those mobile devices uh, constantly being connected to the net and and their ability to be connected to precision farming technology uh, is just huge. I mean, and it is driving our business just a little bit differently, you know, being able to be able to communicate, through, be it through Facebook or Twitter or, or, or on the web, with those customers who are shopping, who, who know at the drop of the hat what their used equipment might be worth or, sure. or, or where they can buy a new tractor for, uh, you know, in six states away, you know. So, yeah, being it, it just those younger customers are much more adapt to you know, with the Wi-Fi and the net and, and all the technology. And I think that's in its, in its, and it's helped out some of the older, you know, mm -hmm. customers of ours, you know, sure. allowed them to, to, to stay on the farm longer. But, uh, but, but still dealing with those younger people, I mean, they, they still, it still requires the equipment and, and, and the training mm -hmm. and having us be able to give those younger people that same attention sure. that we gave their grandfathers and fathers is, is fun. And it's fun to, to see those younger people come in. But yep, I think that's it. Um, well, that's all the questions that I had for today. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up? As I was talking about the award that we got from the Farm Equipment Magazine, I th that was that was that was neat. But I think one of the things that ties into that just a little bit is you know we at Lake County International have always been uh, it's been important for us to to stay trained to 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 run our business uh, fairly and honestly and and adhere at to the levels that the IH and Case IH had set for us and um, and and those standards that they set um, we we the last two years we've been honored as pinnacle deal, uh, pinnacle dealer by Case IH and that is the highest uh, standard that they set for requirements for uh, parts service and, and, and all those. And, and it's important to us to live up to those standards. And I think that in tying back to um, the award that we won from the dealership magazine, um, I think those things help us to be a well-rounded, well-trained, easy-to-do-business-with type of dealership that has, has gotten us where we've got. Thanks so much to Jeff Bloom for taking the time to sit down and share Lake County International's story. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jeff Bloom. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.